You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, it's my privilege this morning to open the word. And if you want a title for the message this morning, it's simply this, the power of a willing heart. The power of a willing heart. And really, I'm speaking into the context this morning of us being a week before our vision offering, where we're asking everyone to simply ask the Lord what he would have you bring and encouraging you then to respond in faith and obedience and do what he is asking us. And so I'm gonna take us this morning to a scripture where God's people also were given an opportunity to give. Just before I come to that though, I would love just to make comment about uh, one or two testimonies that I've heard in the last week. It was so wonderful to hear Beth share with us this morning. You know, it's always, it's always a wonder and a delight when you witness Jesus impacting somebody's life. The grace of Jesus that he comes and touches us with his power. But I've also would love to share with you that in the context of my own journey of the last year, this has been extraordinarily precious. You see, it's almost a year since my sister, to whom I was very close, she went home to be with Jesus at the age of 50 because of a brain tumor. And any of you who fervently and diligently prayed for someone to be healed and then buried them, you know it's not straightforward to go again. It's not straightforward to pray again and necessarily to step out and believe again. There's always another voice there wanting to remind you of the defeat that you feel that you've walked in. And you know, just hearing Beth's testimony has brought into focus just how much the Lord has helped me in his grace and enabled me to go on that journey. And that's a different message for another day. But the joy of playing just a tiny part in Jesus touching Beth and bringing such a significant change to that brain tumor is so precious. And it's a reminder to me, and I wonder if it might be a reminder to you this morning, that even when you're in a season that feels like it might be your greatest defeat, that you might be just about to step into something different. If you keep trusting God, if you keep leaning on Him, if you keep asking Him, it doesn't mean all the questions get answered, but there's more grace to keep walking in. I heard another testimony this week, not of healing, but of somebody's faith journey. A couple shared with Martin at the end of one of the services last week about their journey of the last 12 months. You see, as they sought and prayed last year for uh, Vision 2018, they had felt the Lord speak to them an amount of money that they should give. Now, they were not homeowners at the time, and they had saved up a deposit for a house, and their pledge resulted them in them bringing their entire deposit as an offering. And then in the journey that ensued, they found a house initially with a, a reasonably sized deposit that was required, but then through some circumstances, found something else where they were able to buy a house that was perfect for them, but with a much smaller deposit. And their testimony was that by the end of 2018, they'd made their pledge, they'd been able to fulfill it, and then they'd still been able to buy a house. And because of the way that the Lord had provided for them in so many different small details, they were also able to furnish it. And they finished their testimony last week by saying, thank you for growing our faith. Thank you for growing our faith. You see, we're here 
as a people of faith. We're on an adventure of faith and God is growing us and stretching us and enlarging us. And it is so encouraging to hear the story of what God is doing in and through our lives. So we come to the scriptures, and in a moment we're going to come to Exodus 25, verse 1 to 9. But I'm just going to give a little bit of a background. I know some of you may know the background to Exodus. Maybe some of you have read it many times, but some of us may be new to church or to faith or the Bible. And So let's give a little bit of background. You see, in the book of Exodus, right back near the start of the Bible, we read of the journey of God redeeming and rescuing his people. If you've ever seen the animation, The Prince of Egypt, well, That's the story of Exodus, where God rescues his people out of slavery. He uses Moses to lead them out of Egypt, and he gives the Ten Commandments. You've probably heard of those, and makes a covenant with the people. And what we find partway through Exodus is that God has successive meetings with Moses. They begin, the first one is on a mountain called Mount Sinai. And then it gets explained to us in Exodus 33 that these meetings become a regular thing. It says Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the Tent of Meeting, well-named tent. Very imaginative name. Now, it says that whenever Moses went to the tent, people would come out of their tents and they would turn and watch. Because what would happen is when Moses went into the tent, then his pillar of cloud, the cloud of the glory of God, would come and rest and stay at the entrance to the tent while the Lord spoke with Moses. It says of him that he spoke with the Lord face to face like a man speaks with his friend. And it also tells us that when Moses used to do this, he used to come back to the camp and his face used to be radiant. Wow. So much so they sometimes used to cover it up. What a fascinating idea. The key thing is, though, the presence and the glory of God used to come when Moses was there, but then be removed again, because Moses would come back to the camp. It does tell us that Joshua, his age, used to stay in the tent, but it was only when Moses went out to the tent that this cloud of God's presence would be there. The glory and the presence of God coming close, but then withdrawing again. You see, God's people were in a season of visitation, visitation by the presence of God. The presence and glory of God would visit, but then draw away again. Now, those of us who might know the Bible might know that God had so much more for his people. This is just the beginning of an unfolding story, but we find them here living in a season of visitation. So let's turn to these words. This is Exodus 25, verses 1 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Okay, there's just a few words here this morning. Now, we're not actually going to dive deep into these verses. These verses serve as an entry point for us this morning. 
because we're actually going to kind of take a bird's eye view of the last 15 chapters of Exodus and just see what God is doing through this season with his people. And so this is our entry point here where the Lord is telling Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You're to receive the offering for me from each person whose heart prompts them to give. And there's a variety of different things they can bring, gold, silver, bronze, different yarns and linen, animal hides, even goat hair. Please don't bring goat hair as your offering next week, just let me say. And then he says, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. So here are the Israelites, they're in a season of visitation. The glory of God comes and it goes. But God says, have the people bring an offering and then make a sanctuary and I will dwell among them. The Lord is speaking to them of a different season ahead for them to enter into. Now, if we were to continue to read on in the subsequent chapters, we would get detailed descriptions of how everything needed to be in this tabernacle. It was very specific. There was gonna be an ark, there needed to be a special table, lampstand, priestly garments. We get details about lamps and incense and even the mix of spices that should be in it. It all gets very detailed. And I'm gonna admit this to you. Sometimes when I read through Exodus, I have often found the beginning of Exodus is a very exciting read. You know, there's some bits of the Bible, they are gripping. In the early chapters of Exodus, it's full of action. You know, you have, you have Moses being saved from genocide by floating in the Nile and being rescued, and he grows up in the palace and then tries to fulfill his call by rescuing one of God's people, but ends up murdering a man, fleeing into the desert, ending up a shepherd, and then God himself meeting him in a burning bush where we get that first revelation that God is the great I am. I am who I am, he says, and God sends him to Pharaoh to ask him to release his people. And of course then, there's even more drama. There's the drama of the plagues. Hail, gnats, frogs, all sorts. And the amazing deliverance of the Passover as God's people are released after 400 years of slavery. Then we come to, there's a miracle at the Red Sea, as the sea parts for a million people to walk through. I mean, I don't know, have you ever stopped to think about what it was like to step out onto the seabed? A huge wall of water somewhere to your left, a huge wall of water somewhere to your right, looking like an enormous wave just ready to crash. It must have been so scary. And then, of course, the drama of Pharaoh's army trying to pursue them through the sea and the waves finally crashing back in and Pharaoh's army being destroyed. It is such a gripping story at the start of Exodus. If you want your kids to read the Bible and be excited about it, get them to read the start of Exodus. It's gripping stuff. No wonder they made a film of it. But then when you get to chapter 25 and you go into the next 10 chapters, we get the detail of the tabernacle, the detail of the sanctuary, measurements, proportions, and I've gotta be honest, I don't find it quite so exciting. It's not quite so gripping and engaging. Perhaps in the past, I've lost my interest a little as I've got to this point. But as I read Exodus this summer in my devotions, for the first time I saw the power and the significance of what was going on in these chapters. 
Because what I saw was that the Lord had a plan for his people beyond this season of visitation that they were in, and he asked them to bring an offering. And the part that the people played here in their responding was absolutely critical. It was absolutely critical to them moving into what God had for them next. And we're gonna just jump over some chapters and settle down in chapter 35 because I just wanna show you what is written in chapter 35 about the people's response. You see, in this chapter between verse four and verse 29, it's only 25 verses, five times we hear about the willingness of the men and women. Have a look at these verses with me. So first up, this is verse five. He says, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who's willing is to bring the Lord an offering. And then we jump over to verse 20. It says, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent. Verse 22, all who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold and jewelry of many kinds. And then if we skip again to verse 26, it says, all the women who were willing and had skill spun the goat hair. Wow, there's a, there's a skill I don't have. Maybe you do. And verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord. And in case we've missed the thrust of it, what did they bring? They brought free will offerings for all the work that the Lord would do. You know, in scripture, when you get repetition like this, it's good to take notice. In fact, you know, in life, if somebody's talking to you and they say something this many times, it's good for us to take note that this is important. This matters. There's something of significance here. In fact, I think we all know that in life, a willing heart and spirit is of enormous importance. It makes a massive difference. You know when you interact with someone and they're not really willing to interact with you or maybe not willing to help you. In fact, I'm sure many of you will have had this sort of experience in a shop or a restaurant sometime. Maybe customer services or somebody who clearly wasn't that willing. When it happens to you, you feel it. You feel their unwillingness. Last year for Christmas, somebody very kindly bought me um, a cake stand, you know, where you have like two nice plates and they fix together with some little fixings, so they're kind of layered. Really nice, except it didn't quite work and the fixings weren't quite right. So although you could sit it together, it was very precarious. It wasn't stable. It was an accident waiting to happen. And I don't need any more of those in my house. We can do those by ourselves. So I decided that I would take it back to the shop. Went back to the shop, was very helpfully greeted on the shop floor by somebody who ushered me to the uh, cash desk, where a different member of staff was left to help me. Now, I don't know if you're like this, but for me, when I take something back to exchange it, I'm nervous that the thing I'm exchanging it for is gonna have the same problem. You know, you bought one thing, it didn't quite work, so I need to know that this one's gonna work, because I don't wanna get home and then find that out. So I said to the lady, would it be possible for us just to put it together so I know that this one's fine? Well, the lady was not willing. <laughs> she was not willing. In fact, she was so not willing, she furnished me with some information that she actually used to work in the very place where these were made, and they very rarely had problems. And really, I didn't need for us to put it together, but I insisted that we put it together. 
and her unwillingness became increasingly apparent. It was apparent in her intonation. It was apparent in her posture. It was apparent in the sighs and the groans. <sighs> she was not willing. You've experienced it too. You know that a willing heart and spirit makes a massive difference in all of our interactions, in all of life. A willing heart is a powerful thing. It makes an enormous difference. So here, in this journey of God and his people, where we're told repeatedly about the men and the women responding with willingness, with willing hearts and willing spirits, their willing response is a big deal. It makes a big difference. And because of this, I thought, I'm gonna just have a look at what words are used. What words are used here in the Hebrew and get translated as willing? It's not that I'm a Hebrew scholar, I'm not. But actually, you don't have to be to find out what words are used. And what I found was there's a whole host of different words that get used here. Words to describe the heart, the inner person, the seat of thought and emotions, the spirit of the people, the part of us that responds to God. And also some different words as to how that part of us was being impacted in God's people. For some, it was simply the word willing, but also talked about that part being stirred, that part being generous, that part being conscience-stricken. In fact, the writer of Exodus uses five different words in different combinations each time. Translated willing in English, we're obviously not very creative in our language, but it, to explain to us repeatedly that the people responded willingly to God. They had a willing spirit. They were stirred and they responded. The Lord had a plan here for what he wanted to do with his people, a new season he wanted to bring them into. He commanded Moses to talk to the people and to invite them to bring an offering. And it's really important we understand here that the Lord didn't ask Moses to command the people to bring an offering. The Lord commanded Moses to speak to the people and invite them to bring an offering. It's a subtle difference, but it's an important difference. Because you see, what God was looking for here was willingness in the hearts of the people. He was looking for a willing heart, a response of heart and spirit towards him, a willingness that would be expressed in the bringing of the offering. Why would this be? Why would God go about it this way? You know, if you're familiar in any way with Exodus and the journey of God's people, you'll be familiar with the fact that God had miraculously provided all kinds of things for the Israelites. In fact, everything they needed. They had manna, which was this bread-like wafer stuff that was on the ground in the morning that just miraculously showed up so they had food. When they were tired of that and they asked for meat, quail used to fly in so they had meat. It was miraculously provided. Their shoes didn't wear out. When they didn't have water, it gushed out of a rock when Moses hit it and struck it with a stick. Everything could be provided miraculously by the miracle work in God who was leading them. Literally everything they needed was provided. They were living in the realm of miraculous provision and God had not suddenly got short on resource when they needed to build a tabernacle. The truth is that if God wanted them to use gold or silver or blue or scarlet yarn or goat hair or anything else, 
He could have provided it miraculously. It's what he was doing with everything else. It's what he was doing on a daily basis for them. And so it makes me understand that what God was trying to lead his people into in this season, it didn't just require raw materials. It wasn't about the scarlet yarn. It wasn't about the fine linen, because God could make that happen in a moment. But what God was leading them into fundamentally required the willingness of the people. It required willing hearts from the people. What God was building fundamentally needed willing hearts in his people. It needed to be birthed and roots and rooted in hearts and spirits that were willing, inclined towards him, that desired God and wanted to respond to him, a willingness to play the part in what he was doing and what he was on with. This is the power of a willing heart, that it can usher in the purpose of God. He can build on it and with it, if you like. And I'm so conscious that as we come towards Vision Sunday next weekend, for many of us, myself included, our natural response to an invitation and an opportunity to give is not always willingness. In fact, it can be quite the opposite. One of my children said to me on Friday, and they've been very generous and open-hearted in the last few years, and they said, oh, I really don't want to make another faith pledge. She said, I'm really sorry. I said, it's fine. Most of us feel a bit like that when the request comes again. Our initial response is very often not willingness. But you know, it's nearly 20 years ago now that in another church, we were first given the opportunity, an invitation to give significantly beyond our, beyond our tithes. In the church in Nottingham, where we were, there were plans for a building project. I was working as a physio, Martin was at that time working for Walker's Crisps, and on a Sunday morning we went to church and the senior pastor unveiled some plans for a multi-million pound building project and the need to purchase some land opposite. And we listened, and we took home our little brochure that we were given about rising up and building, and that Sunday we had someone over for dinner. I can't actually quite remember who it was, but I do remember the initial response of our hearts. See, over dinner, there ended up being some discussion about the plans that we'd heard about in church. There was some discussion about the audacious amounts of money that were being described. They didn't seem very plausible to us at the time. They were beyond what we had faith or vision for at that time. And over dinner, Martin, who had looked around the room in the morning and worked out how many people were there and did the maths as to what that might mean, said over lunch, well, I don't know if he thinks we're going to give 10,000 pounds, like, because that ain't going to happen. And really, in that moment, he was just revealing his own heart response, which I've got to say was not different to my own. It wasn't the response of hearts that were stirred or immediately willing to respond. But in that moment, as Martin said, I hope he doesn't think we're going to give 10,000 pounds. I heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit say, why not? Now, there was an obvious answer to me as to why not. It's like, Lord, that's because we only have a few hundred pounds in the bank and we're not earning that kind of money. It was an obvious answer. And yet, the question inside persisted, why not? 
Now, I've got to tell you, this is a very kind of disturbing conversation to be going on on the inside while you've got people at the dinner table. Your paradigms about giving are being smashed open, your heart being brought under scrutiny, and you're being asked to pass the gravy all at the same time, pretending everything is okay. We finished dinner and our guests left. Later on, probably at a very carefully picked moment, because uh, this is a very delicate issue to be discussing, as any of you, particularly if you're a married couple and you're trying to work out together what to pledge next week, you know this is delicate. And I broached the subject with Martin. I said, you know that conversation? You know when we were talking about the building project? And you know when you said that thing about hope, hope it's, you know, 20,000 pounds? Um, well, when you said that, I sensed the Holy Spirit say, why not? And then I ran and hid. Not really. But I had no idea how Martin was going to respond. This was way out of what we'd ever considered before. Actually, as soon as I said that I sensed the Holy Spirit say, why not? Martin knew that God was speaking to us. Thank God. I don't know how we'd have moved forward if not, but we realized that God was stirring our hearts, that God was moving us, that we were shifting in those moments from a, a fairly pragmatic initial response to our senior pastor, who seemed to be suggesting that we and others might give large, larger than we'd ever considered before. We were shifting to a place of sensing that God was in the request, that he was inviting us to give and to bring an offering to him beyond what we had imagined. And sensing God in the request and in the accidentally suggested amount, then we found ourselves with a willingness and a desire to respond to him, a willing spirit, a willing heart. In a matter of hours, still we didn't know quite how it was gonna work, but we knew that we wanted to respond. We wanted to give, we became those who had willing hearts. So we made a plan and we pared back our budget and prepared for how over the following 18 months we might somehow be able to give this sum of money. And by the grace of God, we were able to do so. And it wasn't always easy, of course, and there were sacrifices involved. You may have heard Martin's slightly embellished story where he says we cut our own hair. We didn't, that was just an example for humor of the kind of things that we were doing, the things you normally just pay someone else to do but actually in that season, it was more sacrificial. We did some more things for ourselves. But it was a great joy to respond to God, to do what we felt God had asked us to do in that season. And we were utterly astounded in the couple of years that followed because pretty much just as we finished bringing what we had pledged Martin left his job at Walker's and joined the church staff, halving his salary. And at the same time, I went on maternity leave. And yet, in that period, we received money and gifts to the value of 17,000 pounds. 5,000 pounds of that was a family friend who'd left some money to me in her will. She knew me and my four sisters. She left them nothing. Don't tell them, they don't know. I've never told them to this day, I haven't wanted to. If they ever come and worship it, please don't bring it up. But it was as though God wanted to show us that actually he wasn't after our money, it wasn't about the money. He is still in the business of miraculous provision. But he wanted our hearts, 
He wanted our willingness, our heart response. The truth was that we couldn't give that heart response without actually giving an offering. As Jesus himself said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm not sure that we can truly bring him our heart and never bring him our treasure. And he wants our willingness. He's after our heart response because that's what he builds with. That's where he can do something. That's where he can change the season. And in our experience to date, you cannot outgive God. He doesn't give a time frame for his return on investment, but you can never outgive God. If I can bring us back to the Israelites, in, his, in God's request through Moses to the people, he was looking for a response from them. He was looking for their willingness because he knew the power of a willing heart. And Exodus 35 tells us repeatedly that he found it. Willing men, willing women, everyone who was willing brought something. There was a generosity of heart towards him in the response. In fact, if you read through it, you get to chapter 36 and they have to send a message round to everyone in the camp and say, no one bring anything else. There's enough, there's more than enough. In fact, there's so much we can't get on with the work because we've got too much stuff. Stop it. How wonderful is that? This is all good. For once in scripture, it seems that God finds the response that he desires among his people. I like to imagine the joy this would have brought his heart. But I want us to look this morning at what happened next. Because in Exodus 40, we get told that Moses, having had the offerings from all the people and some craftsmen who would put things together, then it was for Moses to follow the instructions he'd been given exactly to set up this tabernacle, to set up the sanctuary. And have a look with me at what happened. The verses are gonna come up on the screen here in Exodus 40 from verse 33. It says, and so Moses finished the work. And then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud didn't lift, they didn't set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Now this is where, when I read in the summer, I realized that what's going on in these few chapters at the end of Exodus is absolutely seismic. It's a huge and significant transition in the life of God's people. It is a change of season because the glory of God comes and fills and inhabits the tabernacle, so much so Moses can't enter. Here's the thing, friends. In that moment, the season of visitation is over. And a new season begins. A season of habitation begins right there. Not of the presence and glory of God coming and going, visiting and retreating. But now it is a season of habitation where God is dwelling in his glory and his presence right there in the midst of the people. No withdrawing, no moving away. The season is changed. The presence of God's glory right there among his people day and night. A cloud by day with fire in the cloud by night. And now if ever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, it was not God withdrawing. 
It was God leading them. It was saying it was time to go, guiding them, directing them, leading them forward. In this moment, as the season changed from a season of visitation to a season of habitation, his glory and presence became their guidance. In that respect, this episode affected the very direction of their lives from this moment on because the glory, the presence became their guide and when it moved, they moved. Where it led, they followed. If I can simply summarize for us this journey that we've had a bird's eye view of in the second half of Exodus, the Lord had a plan for his people for a change of season beyond the visitation that they lived in. The offerings of the people made with willing hearts ushered in the new season. Visitation was replaced by habitation. God came to dwell among them as he said he would. And the presence of the glory of God became their constant and their guide. They were positioned for God to lead them into whatever he had for them to possess and inhabit. Now let me make it clear here this morning, you cannot buy the presence of God. You cannot buy the glory of God. It would be abhorrent even to suggest that that might be possible. But willing hearts and willing spirits responding in God to obedience can usher in a new season of God's purposes. So how do we correctly allow this to speak to us in the here and now today? There's no tabernacle as such. That day and that season are done. Because I hope you understand that through Jesus Christ now, it's our bodies that become the temple, you and me. He dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. And also we understand not only does he indwell each one of us, but us together as a community in a gathering. It tells us in Ephesians 2.22, Paul helps us understand this is what the church is about. He says we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, a dwelling with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, a dwelling in which God wants to live. He's still looking for a habitation among his people, in the community of his people, to lead them into what he has for them next. And perhaps we might conclude from these chapters this morning that the Lord has more for us that our willing offerings can usher in the next season. That he will keep building us into a dwelling in which he can live by his spirit. And this will position us to follow into what God has for us to inhabit. Friends, this is the power of a willing heart. The power of a willing heart. And we're simply asking everyone this week to ask the Lord what he wants you to do and to respond with a willing heart in faith and obedience to do what he asks. I specifically haven't got keys playing as I come in to end this morning because that's not how we're gonna go about listening to the Lord for what he wants us to bring. The truth is that I know that he can speak to you over dinner today, even if you have guests for lunch. He can still speak to you about what he wants you to bring. But I want to just simply invite you to take time to listen to him this week and to ask him and to come with a willing heart. 
so as I finish, I'm going to invite us all to stand and I invite the band to come. And I'm simply going to ask and pray that he would help us to respond to him with willingness. That he might find in us his people, the willing heart that he looks for. Father, we want to thank you this morning. Firstly, that you came and you rescued us. Like you rescued the Israelites out of Egypt and delivered them from slavery, you sent Jesus Christ to go on the cross in our place and to bring us out of that place where we could never have made our own way. As slaves to sin, you have rescued us and you've given us new life into a living hope that is in you. And we say thank you for that more than anything else. And Father, we also thank you that not only have you done that for us, but you draw us and call us to be part of your plans to redeem and to restore in the earth. And we thank you, Lord, that even the response of our heart can be part of the story. The response of our heart makes way for what you want to do in the earth. And we thank you, Lord, because it offers us incredible dignity that you welcome us in this way. And yet, Father, we're aware so often of the battle and the wrestle in our hearts and that we don't always respond with willingness. And so we just open ourselves to Holy Spirit today. Say, Lord, would you move in us? Help us to hear you clearly. Help us to know what is you and what isn't you. And help us to have a willing heart in responding to you. Hearts that might please you and hearts that will bring just what you require of us. And we pray, Lord, that as we do that, that you will usher in the next season for us, that will lead us into all that you have for us, for your glory and for your honor. Amen.